woke M&Ms have returned. The green M&M got her boots back, but apparently is now a lesbian, maybe. And there's also a plus-sized, obese, purple M&M. So we're going to cover that, of course, because that's what we do. Speaking with just a little flight information, we're flying at an altitude of 37,000 feet and our airspeed is 400 miles an hour. A couple little facts here, I'm packing a Colt King Cobra, that's a 357 caliber firearm with a black rubber grip and a 6 inch barrel, capable of piercing body armor at a distance of up to 27 feet. And I can put a hole in human bone and flesh the size of the Grand Canyon, which by the way is coming up on the left hand side of the plane. So just sit back and relax and enjoy the rest. No, not you, not you. Your organization's terrible. Should I tell you? Should I tell you? Oh, you're Boy Scouts, but you know life. You know life. You know I'm totally off script right now. Oh, this is News Dive. I am your host, Shane. And I am Asher. And we are back after a couple months off. It's been a definitely an interesting few months that we're about it, to go over a little bit here. It it really has been. Uh, after the midterms, we took a little bit of a break because we were working on elections. And quite frankly, I was exhausted. I needed about eighteen hours of sleep a night after those and then of course the the kind of job i work uh, during the holidays it's uh, been working a lot more so it's just after after the craziest of the holidays we're finally back and we're ready to talk politics again ready to discuss all of the world's news in 2023 and beyond but i, I guess we should start with uh recapping a bit of what happened to end last year uh our last episode was came out like right before the 2022 midterms where we talked about union busting and then and then the midterms happened uh we there was a lot of hype and speculation leading up to the 2022 midterm elections that there was going to be a huge red wave that the republicans were going to sweep through and take back the house and the senate but that didn't really bear out. Yeah, I remember I picked up some signs because, you know, I work elections. I uh, had to put signs at the polls, you know, as the last ditch effort of, hey, here we are. Please vote for us. Um, and as I was picking up signs from one of the last places of the evening, I was listening to NPR on the ride home and they were talking about the red wave and how early returns were showing a red wave and i knew i live in ohio i knew ohio was going to be red um i was holding out hope for tim ryan but i knew the rest of the ticket was going to go red um but i was a little bit nervous about the whole country going red and losing the house and losing the senate and oh my gosh now if there's something happens on the supreme court what are we going to do um 
ended up being not even really a red puddle. It was kind of like a red raindrop. No, if you will. so so the Republicans they still took back the House with a much much less majority than they expected to have. They lost the Senate. Uh, the, they, there was a runoff election in Georgia again, but that didn't even matter because the Democrats actually picked up a Senate seat. And then they lost the senator because Kirsten Sinema decided to go independent. Well, but she's still caucusing with the Democrats. So she's independent in a similar manner to how Angus King of Maine is. And then uh, the crazy thing to me is, is that the... The Democrat, the the House, not the House, the, the Senate uh, Democratic Committee that is charged in uh, funding uh, elections the for the Senate. Yes. Uh, they're still thinking of backing her in her reelection campaign. And it, it's just like, it's, it's crazy to me that you can come in and you can tank the entire party's agenda and then leave the party and then still get support from that party during your reelection. That's, I don't know how you square that. I know a lot of people were giving credit to Gary Peters. He was, he's the senator from Michigan, the Democratic senator from Michigan, who was in charge of the DSCC uh, this past cycle. He obviously kept the Senate. He did his job. But... When you consider how close we were with Mandela Barnes in Wisconsin, I know Catherine Cortez Masto in Nevada was sweating it. Um, Mark Kelly kind of came through pretty strong. It took a bit, took a bit of time for them to get all of his votes in, but he came through pretty strong. We could have also potentially had Tim Ryan in there from Ohio. Um, I will say that the Ohio Democratic Party was struggling on this one. They, it was the Tim Ryan ticket, and he was basically out there all by himself. Uh, the governor candidate was Nan Whaley of Dayton, Ohio. And even some people who are registered Democrats, when I was putting yard signs in their yard, were asking me, well, okay, who is Nan Whaley? So it was really Tim Ryan on his own. He got no money at all from the federal Democrats on this. And he managed to hold his own and basically keep pace. Burned through, I think, $40 million of Republican money. $45 million. I think it was $30 million from Mitch McConnell and $15 million from Peter Thiel. So, I mean, if we could have thrown Tim Ryan a couple of bones... That one could have also potentially been winnable. I mean, he literally held his own on his own. Uh, and Mandela Barnes lost by just, what was it, like five or 6,000? It was something small. But the good news is, is the Democrats still hold the Senate. So if anything happens to the Supreme Court, we can still nominate judges. And even for the lower courts, the ability for Biden in the next two years to be able to just appoint judges because we need to counterbalance the number of judges that Trump and Mitch McConnell appointed during the Trump uh, administration. Um, I just checked Mandela Barnes lost by about 26,300 roughly. And so that was the play in the Senate. Um, worth noting, though, 
is how close the Democrats managed to hold their own in the House. Um, it, the numbers flipped. The Democrats had 212 Ex after the election. I would say, and I would the like Republicans to point out, had I would like 212 to point out that, uh, What you say is correct, except for the New York Democratic Party. <laughs> well, yes, and the California Democratic Party. Um, the, the thing is, the elections were so close in the House there was actually a pathway for Democrats to maintain control, despite yes. gerrymandering in various states. Ohio was very heavily gerrymandered um, and still managed to pull out five seats, uh, despite the fact that really they probably should have only won two of those seats. And then uh, Chris, uh, not Chris Cuomo, Andrew Cuomo is basically responsible for them losing the house because of the way he let republicans gerrymander the new york map and kathy hochel also had a big big hand in that she beat lee zeldin by what five percent in new york i i don't know how you barely and, scrape by against lee zeldin in new york and but and because it depresses and it, when, when you don't run like that, it depresses turnout so much that you lose other seats. For example, losing to George Santos, yes. if that is his real name. We don't know if that is actually his real name. And that is a competitive seat. He flipped that seat. Yeah, that was a blue seat. It was a Biden district. It was like, and so it was like you, a Biden you, like plus four district or something like that. Yeah, and then George Santos wins it, and we, that might not even be his real name. He lied he, about where he went everything. to college. He lied about being a star football, uh, star volleyball player. He lied about where he worked. He's wanted in Brazil on embezzlement charges. He lied about being um, Jewish. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, he did. He, I don't know that he's told the truth on anything yet. And. And then he had one of his aides impersonate uh, McCarthy's top staffer in order to try to get donations from the Republican Party's major donors, which I should say is like the Republicans were completely silent on George Santos until it came out that he tried to defraud their donors, which I find I, interesting. <laughs> I read an article somewhere that said the Republican leadership knew George Santos was not George Santos. They knew he was fake. They thought it was funny. Um, and they said, you know, well, if the voters want to find out, the voters will find out. Which I think just shows how rough the New York Democrats were this cycle yeah it's like that at no point in time no oppo research before the election did anyone think to google who is george santos like like yeah like like the democratic party should have been doing opposition research and where is local media in this too like they well, i mean their local media is too. the new york times <laughs> yeah <laughs> 
like I I don't know what that says about us, but that is that is the local media. It's, it's just like it. It seems like this guy's story, his background was so thin. It just seemed like it just took people to start asking the simplest questions for the the cracks to start showing. So it's just like it's incredible that it wasn't until after the election that this stuff came out. Yeah, and when you look at how many seats were within flippable range we lost against lauren bobert and i say we because i work for democrats um we lost against lauren bobert by 554 votes we lost by 593 votes in california's 13th we lost by 1,601 in Michigan's 10th district. I mean, there are so many that could have easily been been ours, but they weren't. Um, it looks like Zach Nunn beat Cindy Axney in Iowa by 2,144. Sean Maloney, the DCCC chair, who decided where the money was going this cycle, lost his by just about 2,300. At the end of the day, when you count the math up, if we had gotten 70,000, I'm sorry, 7,000 more votes in certain areas, we would have had a majority in the House. We would be looking at Nancy Pelosi 2.0 or Hakeem Jeffries 2.0 or 1.0. Yeah, which I mean, that that's got its own host of problems, but we wouldn't be looking at 15 votes for Kevin McCarthy to take the seat. But the the, the Republicans now control the House, so we're basically going to have gridlock for the next two years. That's I mean, the Republicans are going to have gridlock amongst themselves, as evidenced by their initial vote. It took 15 rounds to pick a Speaker of the House. Yeah, well, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. So, a couple weeks after the midterms, and, like, leading up to, during, and after the midterms, Republicans have gone all in on the trans panic stuff. Uh this conspiracy the, the, that the people bigotry. are yeah it's complete bigotry the conspiracy that uh people are out here like transing children which complete nonsense but but when you have figures on the right like uh you have people like who work for the daily wire like matt walsh you have people who work for fox news like tucker carlson who are on a daily basis pushing this conspiracy that uh, trans people are, like, grooming our children. And, well, their viewers, uh, like, the more crazy part of their viewership actually act on it. Where you could uh, see uh, Matt Walsh directed... Uh, targeted his audience at a, a children's hospital. And then you, we see a shooting at a gay nightclub that kills 
five people and how many uh did you say was injured um it was 26 injured including the suspect 19 of those injuries were by gunfire and this nightclub had a drag show earlier earlier in the day so I would just point and say that this clearly is not a coincidence that a someone goes and just shoots up a gay nightclub that just so happened to be hosting drag events after weeks and months of right-wing fear-mongering over drag events. One of the Republicans' biggest strategies has always been how much panic can we run on? I mean, we see this all the way back to, you know, Karl Rove, um, in the George Bush White House, how much panic can we instill in everyone to make them afraid of the institutions we also control? Because if we can make them scared, then we can win their vote. Panic and fear are mighty motivators. I mean, when you think about the words that Donald Trump used to describe immigrants. I mean, how many times when Fox News has nothing else to talk about, do they find a caravan? Yeah. How many times has Tucker Carlson, including today, made a point to talk about how the woke M&Ms are coming for your children? I mean, it's silly. If you think about it, it is silly. They talked about vaccine mandates. We did not have vaccine mandates. Employers had vaccine requirements. If you wanted to come into work, you had to have a vaccine, much like schools do and have for, I don't know, ages now. That's the kind of panic that they got people into about this. You don't want a vaccine. Don't get a vaccine. You have to live with the consequences of that choice. But there were no vaccine mandates. Much like they're trying to scare people now, today, with the gas stove issue, but we'll get to that in a bit. Republicans and these far-right fascists will find a way to find something to make you mad about. Someone or something is coming after you. Someone or something is going to get you. Only we have the cure. Only we know how to stop it. We're going to build a wall, and then after we've built the wall, we're going to talk for years about how scary it is that the wall didn't work so that you will elect us to build a second wall. I mean, it just does not stop. I would encourage everyone to calmly go to a drag story hour and listen to drag queens read books to the people that come to the drag story hour. It's really nice. It's kind of neat. I've seen a few of them myself, and it's just kind of heartwarming. I mean, it's not like they're doing anything inappropriate they're reading nursery rhymes and fairy tales to children republicans like conflating these drag show story hours with the with the more like raunchy adult drag shows that are not advertised to kids (laughs) 
Right. And even then, look at modern TV. Look at some of the things that you can see on television in broad daylight. Like, not even during FCC hours. You will see things that are much worse than a drag show. That I can promise you. Um, and that's not even to say that drag shows are bad. They're not. You will just see a lot more than you would ever see at a drag show. Then we had a... We had a rail strike, or... Or a railroad, railroad workers were about to strike. They were demanding... Uh, they were asking for paid sick leave because... Uh, because these railroad companies work these people long hours and like like 14 days straight with no days 14 off. 14 days. 14 days in a row, 12 hour long shifts. And even when you have a day off, you're on you call. are expected to be on call within an hour. Yeah, so basically so you have you, no life. Right. If you pre-schedule a vacation day to take your kid to the doctor, because, you know, you can pre-schedule when your child is going to be sick by 30 days to get that request in for one vacation. Hey, my kid's planning on being sick in 32 days. I got two days to get my paid time off request in so that I can go take my kid to the doctor, which does not happen. That's not a real realistic scenario. Then you are still expected to be on call. It's remarkable. It's remarkable. And we talk about how poorly staffed the railroads are becoming. They dropped it down. The, the trains are no longer two engineer trains. It's, it's one conductor. You don't need a second conductor. And they've actually argued, the rail bosses have argued, because they can remotely make corrections the person on the other end of that remote is your second conductor they're your second person which i don't know that this kind of like saying that you know if your car's computer it's wi-fi um elon musk is your second driver i don't know that that's true mm. But yeah, they were threatening to go on strike if for more sick leave because they want they want the workers they want a better work life balance. They don't want to be constantly at work and then when they're not at work on call, they want time to spend with their families. So they're asking for more sick days. The union and the railroads came to a tentative agreement. Which gave them, well, I think it was like one sick day, but it no, gave them like a 25% pay raise. So they sent the contract to the rank and file who voted on it, and the rank and file voted, it, voted against it. Well, to be, to be clear on that, there are 12 different unions at play here. Some, some voted for it, some voted eight, against it, but... Eight voted for it. Four voted against it. Overall, but some though. of the ones that voted for or against it were 
by one or two percentage points. So it's it's hard to say that the entire rank and file voted. Yeah, it there's down. definitely some split, but like if you take all the members together, more people voted against it than for it. So so they went back to the negotiating table and were basically like, yeah, we're we're about to go strike. We'll have a full work stoppage and everything. And so this is when the Biden administration stepped in and was just like, no, no, no. And Biden called on Congress to uh, to force the contract onto the workers and break the strike before it started, citing that uh, a strike would cause like economic devastation, which which is which is like. Let's, to be let's, clear, it would. It would. That's the it, point. It, it, but I, I would also argue that allowing the railroads to monopolize and exploit their workers the way they are and to the to to the point where uh uh you have rail uh rail cars just sitting on the track not moving because you don't have enough workers to move it that also causes economic devastation but but we don't we don't ever punish the actual rail company for causing economic devastation because they're not getting their their uh, shipments to where they need to go in time. But as soon as as soon as the workers threaten to strike because they want a couple more sick days, then all of a sudden we're worried about economic devastation. Right, and it's almost like when you consider these conductors and all rail workers. I mean, it's again, 12 unions, various jobs at play. But when you specifically consider the conductors who have to walk the entire length of the train before they can start to drive it, some of these trains are a mile long. And they've doubled so, them. Right. So, so, so because they want to have less workers, they want, they want less trains. So they make the train they're making the trains longer so they have to so they can hire less conductors and because they're making the trains longer they're not some of these trains they don't uh they don't fit like on like the side track so like other trains can't pass them so like if you have like one train that's like stuck then you're uh backloading the entire section of rail there and that, we just, we and just, that's and and like that's just as devastating to the economy as if the workers just work, walked off the job. <laughs> right. And we just saw something like that happen with the Amtrak train that was stuck on the tracks for I think it was over 30 hours in the same spot because someone somewhere made some error. There was no crash or anything. But they could not move forward because they did not have the right of way for that particular area. I mean, one of the things that drives me a bit batty. Amtrak owns the rails in the Northeast, um, you know, in the main area down to parts of New York. They own their own rail. In other parts of the country, they don't. So the owner of the rail can let them or can say, no, you have to wait on our shipments to get through. 
and I don't know if you've ever been on an Amtrak train or not, Shane. The the trick with Amtrak, once your train is late, you have to cede to all trains that are still on time. That's how they keep their on-time rate higher. It's not, okay, this train is one hour late, so we can make that train one hour late. It's, okay, you're already an hour late. You are not going to be on time. Everyone else gets to go ahead of you in the hopes that they will stay on time. So if you're late by an hour, you're not going to be on time, and you can expect it to be an even longer wait. Now, if we had a nationalized rail system, I'm not even saying we nationalized the current rails. If we had a nationalized system, Amtrak could do what Amtrak wanted to do. But we're never gonna we're never gonna make any progress on these companies every time. Whenever workers try to stand up to the bosses and the government decides the bosses, right? Because and, because this entire because the entire negotiate the entire like why does a company have any incentive to negotiate with workers in good faith if the if they can just expect the government to come in and side with them like you're you're the the Biden who likes to call call himself a pro union president with with this move just undermined all labor basically by giving these companies the idea that they can do shit like this now i will say that rail negotiations are governed under completely different sets of laws than most union and I, negotiations and I get that but right but, but biden no i'm, 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 and say, I'm not I'm using saying, that I'm, as a i get what you're saying it's just like biden made the choice to side with the bosses he even said that uh like trying to add more to the deal he, he, he said he didn't want to add anything to the contract because it would take longer to do so basically he's signing with the boss biden could have went out there and and sided with the workers and be like yeah we're gonna we're gonna vote on a contract that has 14 days of paid sick leave for the workers because that's what the workers deserve he said no the workers get one sick day screw them the the bosses need them to get back to work right and all the while he was touting the fact that he won some things in that deal that were even more than the unions wanted the trick is if you have no paid sick days or one paid sick day and you need two paid sick days, a 30% raise, let's say Biden negotiated them a 50% raise over the next five years. You'd be like, wow, that's amazing. If you can't take two sick days off a year because you get sick, then you get no raise because you get fired. Like, I don't care how good your raises are. If you can't take time to Take an actual break. Go to the doctor. Be healthy. Be well. The rest of it is all irrelevant. Because you will then get fired. But you're absolutely right. I was just bringing up the point about the rail labor laws. Because railroads, I've come to learn, are a lot 
more complex than most union bargaining negotiations are yeah because it's so they, it's so essential to the overall economy like get right that. it's been over a hundred years i think is the the rail labor act yeah um was was passed specifically for the point of making sure that railroad workers could not strike so for the rail workers to get even you know a vote in the house on paid sick leave was pretty big it did not pass and frankly you are very correct biden could have used his bully pulpit to whip votes in the house and in the senate that he had party members in control of both parties in both chambers to say hey pass the tentative agreement and 15 days of sick leave or seven days of sick leave he didn't do that. He said, pass it as it is because it's quick. Yep. And I don't know that that is very encouraging from a person who claims to be the most pro-union president ever. Definitely not. Uh, and it's worth repeating that this is right before the Christmas holiday. While the country is staring down the barrel of a recession. And so... Is it a good position for anyone to be in? No, I would not want to be Joe Biden trying to have to decide who do I screw over? Do I screw over everyone or do I screw over the rail workers? I would not want to be that person. But that said, workers need paid sick leave. I don't know how much easier that is to explain. Yep. People get sick. It's it's just being human. And how many votes did that fail by in the Senate? Was it like four? I forget. We I had a I handful of vote. Republicans vote for the paid sick leave amendment. I remember Ted Cruz voted for the paid sick leave amendment and then gave Bernie Sanders a fist bump. Again, again, blocked by the filibuster that Biden refused yeah. to get get rid of. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there are so many things that could have been passed with the filibuster. And right now, while we don't have one senator from Nebraska, I saw someone joke that Biden should take Mansion and Cinema on a vacation and leave everyone else there because then the Dems would have a majority of one and could break the filibuster. <laughs> so the next story I would like to cover is also uh, union-related because... <clears throat> US, USPS is starting to replace their current vehicle fleet with new vehicles. Many of them are going to be electric, and, I, and at some point they're all going to be made electric. But, and when this announcement was originally made, that uh, when they announced the contract uh, with Oshkosh that these vehicles that the vehicles were uh, going to be made, they said that they were going to be using union labor because USPS, uh, USPS is a unionized institution. So it only yeah, makes three, sense. Three unions in the USPS? It's got the rail, not the rail, <laughs> got the letter carriers, the rural letter carriers, 
and the American Postal Workers Union. I only know of three. Yeah, that, Are there that, more that than three? That one probably covers like the clerks and the yeah. That's everyone operators. that's not a letter carrier. Yeah. So so yeah, the USPS is unionized, so it only makes sense that they use union labor to make their vehicles, and this is what Louis Joy said would happen when they announced the contract. But it turned out that they lied. And they never really planned to do it. They, di they didn't even put it in the contract. And here is a clip of AOC questioning a representative from USPS about this. Stevens, are you aware that the announcement uh, that next generation delivery vehicle fleet would be built in South Carolina? Um, after the Oshkosh defense initially won the contract, the in post having facilities in Wisconsin? Yeah, the Postal Service was made aware of that decision shortly before the public announcement, and it is a decision that's at the discretion of the supplier. So do you, are you aware that Oshkosh Defense might be trying to circumvent its longstanding contract with the United Auto Workers workforce in Wisconsin uh, by essentially building a brand new facility after the contract was awarded in a vacant warehouse in South Carolina? I have no awareness of that, but I would encourage you to have that conversation with uh, Oshkosh. Uh, is the USPS troubled by this timeline at all? Uh, by what was that? By this timeline at all? Which timelines are you referring uh, The timeline of the fact that NextGen, uh, they had secured Oshkosh. Oshkosh presented the contract with their existing facilities. They have union labor. They were granted a $3 billion contract under the USPS under the leadership of DeJoy. And then after the ink was dry, it looks like they're opening up a scab facility in South Carolina with no prior uh, history of producing vehicles in that facility. So I think some of the facts about what was represented in a proposal are not correct. And, uh, and I would disagree with those assertions. Okay, and so I would say that uh, the USPS is not troubled by that timeline. <laughs> I would agree with your statement. Thank you. So yeah, Oshkosh and USPS said that these vehicles would be made in Wisconsin using union labor. And then after the contract was announced, Oshkosh announced that they would be opening a brand new facility in South Carolina that conveniently would not be using union labor to build these vehicles. So, so basically, Oshkosh is trying to avoid using union labor. And the USPS, USPS under Louis DeJoy is allowing them to do so. It's wild when you think about the fact that Louis DeJoy is still the Postmaster General. Yes. Now, my understanding is the Postmaster General serves with no specific yearly limit of term. It's not like the president has a four-year limit and House members have a two-year limit before they have to run for re-election. He just kind of has a term of undefined length. And to switch him with someone else requires the Board of Governors of the postal workers. The problem is they don't seem to be able to remove him without cause. I don't know how much more cause he can give before they have to do something. 
when you think about 2020 and all of the sorting machines that were ordered to be destroyed right before a huge election, when you think about lying about where your fleet is going to be built, I don't know how much more he needs to do, but we'll see. We finally get to the Republican House taking over. We are... Uh, there was a big fight in the, in the Republican House over the speakership because the Republican establishment, including Donald Trump, was behind Kevin McCarthy to be Speaker of the House for the, for the Republican majority in the House. There was a... The, the Freedom Caucus, which I like to call the Sedition Caucus, there was about five of them, I think, who refused... who said they refused to vote for McCarthy. And there was about another 15 Republicans who were standing behind these five. So there was about 20 Republicans who were against McCarthy. And they were uh, negotiating with McCarthy, trying to get votes on certain bills, trying to get people on committees. And uh, it was a huge fiasco. It, it took almost a week to get a, a speaker sworn in. Yeah, the vote for Kevin McCarthy was actually the fifth longest balloted speaker election in U.S. history. It's important to note that when the House of Representatives convenes, the first thing it has to do is elect a speaker. They can't do really anything else until they elect a speaker. So previous can't, can't even swear in the new members until you have a speaker. Correct. So. You know, in past Congresses, there have been instances where it's gone to two ballots. You know, if the majority party wants to split it up a little bit, um, sometimes it's gone to three. This is the fifth longest in U.S. history. Um, we went to 15 ballots for the 118th Congress. The ones that went longer, John Taylor in the 16th Congress, 1819, his took 22 ballots from November 13th through the 15th, 1820. William Pennington in 1859 took 44 ballots. Howell Cobb of the 31st Congress took 63 ballots, but not even Kevin McCarthy could top Nathaniel Prentice Banks. That speaker vote went from December 3rd, 1855 through February 2nd, 1856, two months. And it took 133 ballots to pick him. So that's just a fun little tidbit for you. We're now, uh, for the first time in over 100 years, going to multiple ballots. And it was not just a few ballots. It was 15. It's the fifth most we've ever needed. Yep. And we should talk about uh, some of the things that the Sedition Caucus was trying to get out of Kevin McCarthy. Uh, probably the, the most concerning one is the fight, the upcoming fight over 
the debt ceiling. Mm -hmm. uh, the Sedition Caucus is trying to get Kevin McCarthy to shut down the government to avoid having to raise the debt ceiling. Yeah. Ba which, and basically what, so how the go government spending works is first, the government uh, uh, authorizes spending. They pass the bill, they authorize spending. Second, they distribute that funding to where it needs to go. And then third, they, they ask the Treasury to issue debt for that funding. So the Treasury issuing debt is the last step of the cycle. And, and the debt ceiling is basically a limit on how much debt the Treasury is allowed to put out. So, uh, so if you don't raise it, the Treasury defaults, which would, which would cause a global economic crisis. Because a lot of countries, they hold, they, they hold, they like holding uh, treasury notes. And if the treasury isn't able to issue debt, those uh, won't be able to turn, uh, they won't be able to turn them in the, in the money. Like, so, you know, cause a cascading effect and yeah, the entire global economy, you will go into the shitter for it oh yeah we are the reserve currency for a lot of countries there are actually several countries that use the dollar the u.s dollar as their currency so yeah it, this would have major implications across everything and so and what the republicans are saying is in in order to raise the debt ceiling they wouldn't they would uh, the Democrats would have to accept cuts to Social Security and Medicare and other programs. What's interesting is that Social Security runs a surplus. Yeah, it was not designed to run a deficit. Yeah, keep, keep in mind that's a good point. Keep in mind that that Social Security cannot contribute to the deficit. Because it's paid right. for out of its own trust fund. So when you're talking about cutting Social Security to save on the deficit, it's, it's nonsense. Because the de Social Security isn't contributing to the deficit. Yeah, if you cut Social Security, that basically means you are cutting the amount of surplus it already has presumably redirecting it to pay down some debt but you will never pay off the US debt at this point i mean you you have to be realistic it's not going to happen the closest we ever got i think they're under president i want to say it was madison maybe jackson the US debt hit like 0 dollars for a couple of hours and like and anyway the the <laughs> government running a deficit to some extent is a good thing because right. a, a government a government deficit is by definition a private sector surplus like to to balance the budget and 
and uh, get rid of the deficit, you're literally pull you're pulling money out of the economy without putting money back in. You're so you're taking money out of the economy. There's less money going around the economy, which means there's less money for business businesses to invest in like jobs. And next thing, the next thing you know, you start seeing mass layoffs, and we're we're, we're all, and we're already heading into a recession. Like well, you're, I mean, they've said that we're heading into. They've said that we're heading into a recession for like a year now. I don't know if we are ever going to hit recession. But I think I think we will next year. Especially especially if the if the Fed keeps up its its uh, rate hikes, because because the the last the last jobs report showed that like the labor market. Is still strong, and CPI just came out showing that inflation is cooling as well. Inflation is going down. the The labor market is still strong. This is like a good opportunity to step off the brake. But Jerome Powell and the Fed keep saying that they intend to keep hiking rates, uh, for at least for the next few months. And every time, and like every time you uh, hike rates, you are starving the economy more because raising uh, rates makes borrowing money more expensive. So you're, you're limiting how much uh, people can invest and you're, which hurts the job market. And then like eventually you start seeing like mass layoffs because uh, everything's more expensive for companies. So they start cutting labor. And, and if you listen to people like Larry Summers, this is exactly what they want, where someone like Larry Summers has said that they, that we we need to see ten percent unemployment to fix the economy, and it seems like, and it seems like the Fed is following the Larry Summers of the world more than the progressives who are saying like, "Stop! You're literally pushing us into a recession." Uh, another thing that the uh, Republicans are pushing for is there are they are trying to abolish the IRS. And the an income tax, and to replace it with a flat sales tax, which which basically forty percent of Americans didn't pay any federal income tax last year. But if the federal government put in a sales tax, those forty percent would start paying taxes. So essentially what the Republicans are trying to do is they're trying to raise taxes on the poorest Americans. Yeah, the way that it works is if you make, let's just use some hypothetical numbers. If you make $1,000 a month and your tax rate is 10%, you're paying $100 in taxes. That leaves you with 900. You would be losing out on groceries, on bills, on other things like that. If you make a billion dollars and your tax rate is 10%, you would lose 100 million dollars. Which sounds like a lot, but you would still have 900 million dollars. It's not like you're going to be hurting for bread Correct. or milk. And I mean, I'm using some extreme examples here. Hopefully, 
hopefully. But there are people who do make a thousand dollars a month. Like it's that's the situation. So if you were to abolish that and go to a flat sales tax, do you think it's going to be hurting the the big people more, or you think it's going to hurt the little guys? Who now have to suddenly pay? Would would you say it was thirty percent sales tax? Uh, I I don't know what the sales tax would be. But I was saying, I think, that, I, think uh, I read thirty percent. Jesus. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd have to check. I, I want to check that. Um, let me verify that really quick. But then, but then on top of that, uh, you're getting they're they're trying to abolish the IRS, the enforcement agency that makes people pay their taxes when they don't. So, not only are you going to implement a sales tax on the poorest Americans, you're making it significantly, significantly easier for the rich who can hire teams of accountants and lawyers to avoid paying their taxes because now you don't even have an enforcement agency to make the rich people pay their taxes. <clears throat> yeah, because it's just like, when 40% of Americans don't pay any income tax and then you replace an income tax with a sales tax, well, everyone's going to have to pay the sales tax. There's no, there's no way to be like, oh, you only make like $20,000 a year. You're exempt from the sales tax. Like, there's no like practical way to do that where you can with income. It looks like it would actually be a 23% sales tax. The sales tax rate will be 23% in 2023, with adjustments to the rate in subsequent years. There are exemptions from the tax for used and intangible property, for property or services purchased for business. There we go, there we go. Property purchased for business has some exemptions. Oh. Or investment purposes. Ah, if you purchase things for investment, then they get less sales tax. That's interesting. But yeah, no, that would be... Something poor people won't have the ability to do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's literally a handout to the wealthy. I mean, even the Congressional Budget Office has said that this proposal will increase the deficit. Yes. By... By just giant amounts of money uh, it would I mean, be ju just uh cutting the funding that they got from the inflation reduction act would rate would increase the deficit by 114 billion dollars yeah so, that's what i read so god only knows how much of, of a deficit increase would happen from abolishing the irs and getting rid of income tax yeah, and that would also make the... These are, there the, these are the fiscally responsible people, by the way. <laughs> yeah. And actually, if you were to Google right now, who gets hurt the most with an income tax? With, uh, sorry, with a sales tax. It actually pops up and says the poor. I mean, it, it's true. It does. Um, a report I'm reading right now on Bloomberg... Uh, shows that low-income Americans are taxed at twice the rate as the richest 1%, which, of course, makes sense, yep. because that's, that's the game. And, of course, we have 
the uh the, the dumb culture war stuff is alive and well because uh it has recently like come out that gas stoves are not really good for your health and so naturally republicans have come out as pro gas stove it from my cold dead hands I, I saw Matt Gates post that, pry it from my cold, dead hands. And it's... What? First of all, like, yeah, we can pass a regulation that there are to be no more gas stoves by 2033, let's say. And so at that point... Companies will no longer manufacture gas stoves. I don't think in any reality is Joe Biden going to go door to door to check to see if you have a gas stove or not if you have a, in your I'm house. I'm sure if you already have a gas stove in your house, no one's going to come to your door and like force you to replace it. This is like right. for, this is for like new constructions. Like any like any new development will be built won't be allowed to like put in like gas stove and like you said like uh, like manufacturers will eventually just stop producing them and then Right. It's it's like the electric car regulations that are coming in where it's we want this percentage of cars to be fully electric by this year. It's not like they're taking away your old cars. It's like I, you and I talked before we started the cast today about how this is a, a tactic that the NRA plays all the time. You can take my guns out of my cold, dead hands. But there's, they're not coming for them. They're not going door to door saying, hey, where are they? Give them to me. We're literally just saying that, like, like maybe, maybe people shouldn't be exposed to nitrogen dioxide in their own home. Or, or if you like work in like a restaurant or something, you shouldn't be exposed to that over the course of your eight-hour like work day. Right. Also, you want to talk about the number of fires that get caused by gas stoves? I don't have statistics. I think Cat Cat Turd on Twitter said Ed that he to own the libs that he turned on his gas stove all day, and I I would, I would just like. Congratulations, man. I'm glad you did that. Really owning um, the libs out here. Additionally, um, I did see someone on Twitter then point out that he actually has an electric stove. So I don't know what he turned on. Yeah, uh, but, yeah. so so big surprise. He's lying for Twitter clout. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know. You know, that that's that's a side point that I'd like to make. From where do we get... All of these so-called influential Twitter accounts with names like The Horse Whisperer, Cat Turd 2, Ah, yes, when I want to know what my political opinion should be, I have to consult the Cat Turd. Yeah, that's stupid. Who 
in their right mind, consults Cat Turd 2 on Twitter to figure out what their opinion should be. Elon Musk. Other than him. <laughs> it's a sad state of affairs that he even thinks he is someone that people go to. Unfortunately, fear and panic are mighty motivators. And we're kind of hitting a point where some people can't tell the difference between fiction and reality. They get so hyped up. And this goes back generations. There was a TV show called Gilligan's Island. Um, it was a very famous show. Seven people stranded on a deserted island after a three-hour tour got stuck in a storm. And they filmed three seasons of that show. People actually called the U.S. Navy to report, Hey guys, there are seven people stranded on a deserted island. Okay, do you know who they are? Well, there's Gilligan, there's the Skipper, there's the Professor, and... It sounds like these people have gas stoves in their home. Or lead gasoline, which was another thing that we definitely should never have had, but had. So, I'm just saying, it. some people can let their imaginations hurt them. It's like, remember the old Pokemon games where you could play and then so-and-so hurt itself in its confusion? We're at that point right now. People, the, the meme of Republicans hiding from their own imaginations is becoming real. Like, guys, here's, here's the thing. And, that, and, and that's the, I will and promise honestly, you. I would like to say, like, that's the point you cross over, like, into fascism. Like, when the population starts attacking fake demons. Right. It's, it's, uh, here's the thing. Joe Biden is not coming to your door to check on your gas stove. That is ridiculous. I don't know why people are getting this up in arms I mean, about it's, a, it's proposed, same, it's... a proposed regulation to phase out gas stoves. It's... it's like the regulation to phase out lead paint. Yeah. They're not going to your house to check all of your paint to see if it's lead. I'm sure there's plenty you of houses might... in this country that still has lead paint in them. I actually, when I was in college, I had to sign a waiver stating that there were two years after that building was built in which lead paint could have been used. So I had to sign a waiver stating that I would not lick the walls in case there was lead paint. I'm not joking. <laughs> that, that was a real thing. I wish I had a copy of it with me right now. But again, those are the waivers because they don't go door to door checking your paint to see if it has a lead content in it. They don't go door to door checking your kitchen to see if you have a contraband stove hiding somewhere with a gas line in it. These are things that don't happen. Now, they do check uh, that you're up to code when you're building a building. They want to make sure your electric is properly grounded so that you don't catch on fire in your sleep. But they're not going door to door doing this 
And to think that they are is just ridiculous. And I would like to point out that every single politician who's making a big deal about this is taking hundreds of thousands of dollars from the oil and gas industry. Oh yeah, blood money. We, you gotta get your blood money in there, Shane. You gotta get your blood money, man. Just, I'm sure it's just a coincidence, but just throwing that do you, out do there. You, do, do, you, do you have your blood money? Have you, have you gotten your check from ExxonMobil yet? Sadly, no. It got lost in the mail? Well, we should blame Louis DeJoy on that one. Yep, I agree. Fire him. Yeah, there, yes. There's your calls. Yeah, there we go, there we go. I, we look forward to your letters and your angry tweets. But with that, I think that's... Uh, we can wrap it up there. I think that's it for the day. Yeah. Alright, I'd like to thank everyone for listening. You can... Uh, Follow the show on, on social media. We're on at either at Newsdive or at Newsdive Radio, depending on the social media site. You can follow us on, on Twitter. You can follow us on Instagram. Follow us on, on TikTok. I, I post a lot of uh, video, explainer videos on TikTok. That's a good place to follow me on. Also, uh, sub, subcri- subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And I wish you all a good week. Have a good week, everyone. Bye-bye. Goodbye. All the reactionaries Loving the authoritaries Renting their bodies to pay for the hobbies of billionaires All the sea Statist eating up the seven dollar wages. They say that it's a simulation, but they're blue pilled and shameless. You are so narrow minded with your scale words. Uh-huh. They choke a black man on the pavement Russians at the Ukraine border Tensions in the South China Sea Not a real threat to world order Not a real threat, not a real threat, not a real threat You are so narrow-minded with your scale words, uh-huh Fuck them, it's another human rights violation We don't really care, we don't really care Melting of the doomsday glacier Melting in the Beaufort Sea You know we're really headed for somewhere We don't know where it might be Haitians at the Texas border And they're running and they try to flee Not a real threat to world order Not a real threat, not a real threat, not a real threat Yeah, oh